0: Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And today we are in my house. I can't believe how long
1: it's been. It's been ages. I do love coming to your house, Kate. And we're sat here in your book nook. (laughs)
0: It's a library
1: Oh, it's just so lovely and homely and... Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I'm chilling, chilling on an autumn evening here I, with a, with a cup of herbal tea. I had to bring my own tea bag though, listeners, because she doesn't do herbal teas at the mad. I house. don't really do tea, actually. No, you don't do tea. And do I've you. never
0: got the right kind of milk for you. <laughs> Soya moya, frappuccino, something or other with a side order of Birkenstocks. I don't, I know, I just, it's just coffee or wine in this house. There's only two a drinks. Lots of it. <laughs> coffee all morning, water all afternoon wine all evening oh well, we're getting close to wine o'clock aren't we so we've we better should actually on. point out for listeners that we are recording this about six hours before london goes into the next layer of lockdown so we are sitting distance yes and we have been wearing masks but um we are still legal at this point
1: yes so i don't know when you'll be back again no i know well i'm gonna dash and get out of this crazy sitting back to the countryside as quick as i can <laughs> But actually, looking around your house, there's not been much
0: updating going on. Nothing's changed. No uh, no progress with the yellow kitchen. No, the yellow kitchen was very much a lockdown fantasy. I I still like looking at the colour, but that's not going to happen. I... (sighs) No, nothing's changed. I mean, there is a plan. Well, the office, as I've said on the blog, will be changing because my 17 year old has basically spent lockdown in bed. He's got a very small bedroom and um, his
1: bedroom is proper compact. His bedroom is
0: proper compact with a built in bed. And I don't really think he's got out of bed for six months. (laughs) So, because he's taking his A levels next summer, we have decided that he will move into my office. Bye bye, gold ceiling. He does not want the gold. Ceiling. <laughs> there have been talks. We are discussing it. Oh, that's going to be a beauty am to paint going out. Into his very tiny bedroom, okay. which is going to be my plan is kind of deep green gloss mm. uh, bookshelves. I did want bookshelves all the way around, but the room's not big enough. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be one wall of bookshelves, and then I'm going to do some panelling. Nice. Um, and wallpapered ceiling, um, but that's not none of it's happening till the new year. So nice I've still pet. got time to work on the on the seventeen year old about his gold ceiling. Can't can't get the staff. Yes, people are busy, aren't they? <laughs> people are busy doing their houses yes, up, which yes, I yes, get. Yes. So, and I'm not, I'm not doing that myself. Not going to be up a ladder wallpapering a ceiling anytime soon. No, I don't soon. think so. Or building shelves. No. But uh, oh, there is one teeny tiny change. You see, because I had to make the tea. She doesn't make her own tea, so you haven't been of into my kitchen, which mean. is now pink. My walls in my kitchen are all pink. But they were pink before. You had a pink. I had a pink wall before. Oh, all the walls are pink. Yes, yes. But that's it. But it's but very subtle. It. It's so subtle that I had to hope the man, husband didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's pink? No, it's the light bulb, darling. It's the light bulb. Nothing changed in here. Nothing to see.
1: Move along. Well, listen, you don't have to change anything. Your house is impeccable. It's gorgeous. So why change it if it ain't broke or whatever well, the old saying is? What we've got coming up in the show then We're going to talk tips and tricks on selling houses We'll of course have our regular style surgery Where we'll be answering one of our listeners' questions And we're going to be shifting our focus onto design and sustainability In a very special interview with interior designer Chloe Bullock of Materialise Interiors
0: First up, I think I wanted to talk about tips and tricks on selling houses because there is, at the time of speaking, quite a lot of movement in the housing market. I think, as we spoke a couple of episodes ago, people are changing their priorities on where they want to live and what they're looking for. But coupled with the social distancing rules mean that people are buying houses virtually or looking virtually before they actually go and see. So I thought we could have a conversation about how you get your house ready for selling. So I said to Sophie, let's perhaps have a bit of a dive into the idea of selling houses. And she wanted to talk about a television show on <laughs> Netflix which I may be the only person that hasn't seen. Um uh, but it's also about selling houses? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I do I do confess that
1: I don't know that much about the current property market in the UK I'm not I'm not about to sell it's just not on my radar however <laughs> I am all across the Netflix hit TV show Selling Sunset which is about a estate agency they call them realtors don't they or brokers in America but it's about selling those real millionaire billionaire pads in Beverly Hills West Hollywood this is and ever so random, relatable
0: Mary. listeners I hope you <laughs>
1: And just the women, what they wear, the houses, the sunshine, all of it is completely unrelatable. But it's delicious and it's just complete house porn of the highest
0: order. It's brilliant. It's not the right sort of houses though, is it? It's not. No, one
1: thing from an interior design point of view that I do find particularly frustrating is they are just identical interiors. It's so frustrating. They've all got the pool tick. They've all got the big sliding doors tick. They all have a marble workshop. That seems to be a big tick. Yeah, always got the marble kitchen, but it's this California cool is a term they use, which is basically white, 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 and more white. There's not colour anymore. I
0: mean, you wouldn't like it, obviously. But I mean, you can have white in warm places mm. because you've got the sun to bounce off it, so it does all become shiny and bright. I mean, white in this country when the pouring rain is. Oh no! It's it, not yeah, very it's and, and the
1: other thing is, is that all these houses, the premium houses, all have to do, have a view. It's all about the view of looking over the top of LA. And I think, well, gosh, you'd need a view because there's really nothing
0: else nothing to, to look, look at inside. At. <laughs> inside. <laughs> apart from white walls with white furnishings. But but are they all staged then? I mean, I wonder Mm. if if people are moving in and then changing them, perhaps not in that in that billion million dollar yeah sector. I
1: think you know I've never been to LA but I'm imagining there is a little bit of box ticking that goes on with having a particular home in a particular neighborhood in a particular style and therefore you have it styled in a particular way and it makes you one of the club if you like it feels like people are buying a house as, as a trophy if you like to say I've made it rather than buying a home they're not very homely vibes and like I said <laughs> look exactly the same so i think gosh you're spending these millions and millions and you're just getting something that i mean i would argue doesn't look that dissimilar from what your neighbors got or what you might just be selling although there is this brilliant area i think it's in beverly hills and a lot of the roads are called like mount olympus and stuff and it was at a time when it was all the thing to have these very kind of mock grecian mansions and they're brilliant and they've got the gargoyles sort of spewing water and the, and the plinths and the columns and all of that kind of stuff. And they've been quite frowned upon as bad taste, but they're coming
0: back around Of course, they, are. No, of course, course they, they I just are. think, let's have some more of that. Well, I don't know how to wrestle this back under control, this conversation Well, now, the idea but- is is
1: that you're, you're selling the dream and there is there isn't a sticky-fingered footprint. There isn't anything out of place. These homes are immaculate. And like you say, they are styled. They bring in rented furniture. They bring in rented artwork. And they're selling the dream. And I, I mean, maybe it's because they're high-end homes, but it's not something we really do here in the UK. You'd well, be lucky that- if you get everything
0: hidden in the cupboard under the stairs. That sort of staging idea home staging which did take off didn't it here for a bit I think it was an American import I mean here as oh, yes, you say what was her name the, um, Anne, the Maurice. Anne Maurice you the you house doctor tidy up a bit here but that's as far as we went but we also there was that huge sort of I don't know if it was a fashion or a phase discuss the difference, where we were all told to depersonalise our houses if we wanted oh, yes. to sell them. And it had to be very neutral and very bland. Um, and actually, I think we've moved on from that a bit now. I think, you know, it's fine. You don't want your kids' photographs over every wall. But I think we do want to see, certainly in the UK, if we're going to look around a house, I think we want to see some evidence of personality
1: and how it's going to be used and yeah what I always think is you never know who your prospective buyer is going to be so for me the house that we bought was hideously beige I couldn't bear it and as anyone who's following me on Instagram will know I've spent four years getting rid of the beige and putting the colour in so I think you've got to Decorate your home for you, how you live now, how you love to live, because you never know whether your future purchaser is going to like the same stuff as you or like something completely different. And it seems ridiculous to me to second guess it. And I think when all those house flipping property ladder type shows were really, really popular, it was all about getting in and out really quickly. And to buy bucket loads of magnolia paint and just do everything in metro brick tiles was very quick, very easy, very fast, made economic sense.
0: Hello, the mad husband's just come oh. down the stairs. Hello! Hello. How are you? Okay. Are you on a Zoom marathon, apparently? I've been on Zoom all day. <laughs> well, that's good. He's really busy and all he does is complain.
1: Work schmuck. It's not the complaints <laughs> department. Did, did I take the wrong... Yeah. I took the wrong turn. Yes. <laughs> exactly that. Uh, so... So, if you're doing property commercially, it makes sense to do it all neutral. You know, architects know this. If you've got people faffing around what paint colour they're going to put where, it slows everything down. It's a nightmare. So, much better just to whitewash a house out in one pot of paint, move on to the next. But that, you know, these are homes we're talking about. We're not talking about selling sunset property developments. So I think it's really important that people don't get caught up in that fear of feeling that they've got to depersonalise and do everything in neutral because potentially they're going to sell. Because you might be selling it to someone
0: like me, who knows? <laughs> I, think, I think buyers <laughs> like you might be quite niche. Um, <laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree. I think, I think we've moved on from that notion that it has to be bland and neutral. I do think it has to be tidy Right And I do think clean, clean. Yes. And you know, there are more of these virtual viewings coming. And I think you need to be very aware that if your estate agent asks you to do a video of your house, that I think perhaps a lot of people might be more Instagram savvy. And they might be well aware what you're showing them in the front of the camera might not be what's going on. So So how do
1: you how do you go about doing a virtual tour? Well, I think
0: You're filming it. I mean, I think it's almost like a Zoom meeting, isn't it? And you're carrying the. the and you computer do it live. Do you? Some people do them live, some people pre record them. Um, but I think there are things to look out for if you're having a virtual viewing. And actually, I mean, estate agents have been doing video tours of houses mm. for ages. In a way, that's not new, but that was a sort of a backup, wasn't it? That you. I think it filters out houses which may or may not be suitable. Mm. In so an we're going to see way. more of that. I, I think we'll see more of that. But I think you've got to. If you're doing a virtual tour or you're watching one with a view to buying, I think you need to be very aware of what you're not seeing. Okay. So, you know, you want to know what's behind the camera. Yes. You know, is that all laundry or is that a broken window or, you know, a, a door that doesn't fit? So you need to be looking at those sorts of things. And I also think I'm constantly being <laughs> Caught out by the size of things I buy online and the reality. My mother just asked me to buy this posh hand cream for her for Christmas. And she said they're on offer at the moment. So I thought, brilliant. Bought three of them. Amazing. And then they've turned up. They're pots. They're, they're testipots. <laughs> So, you know, they're going back and you know, <laughs> dealing with all the refund. But, you know, to to make that point, when you're looking at houses, you might see a a sitting room and it's got a sofa and two chairs in it, but maybe take a moment to see. Is that a two-seater sofa or a three-seater sofa? Mm. And do I need a three-seater sofa and could I fit one in? Or, oh, look, there's an eating in kitchen. Can I actually get four people around that table? Or is that a tiny table for two? So think, you know, take a moment. And maybe
1: also look at it with the floor plan, I'm thinking, because yeah. presumably you'll get given one of those as well. And maybe that's something that we... They're a bit boring to look at, aren't they, floor I plans? I love a floor plan, but oh, I think okay, lots
0: of people can't plan. necessarily translate... You know, I can't do it in metres or if someone says a room is, is 10 foot square, mm. I'm aware that counts as a double bedroom, but so a bed would be six foot long. That gives you a sense of what you might have left around the edges. But lots of people, I think, don't look at it like that. Mm. So if you're not experienced at looking at floor plans or you find them a bit dry, do just look around the rooms and sort of examine the photographs. And, and you can do this, you know, from photographs, even if you're going to see a house in real life. But have a look at the sizes and see what you're actually getting or what you could fit into a room. And I think now, of course, we all want to know, can we get a desk in a room? Yes, that's going to be the big thing now, yeah. isn't it? Of
1: course, home offices yeah, uh, or uh, an extra bedroom or an extra box room or, like you say, partitioning part of an open plan space to make sure people can work from home. is.
0: So, again, if you are looking at a floor plan, generally speaking, the thick black lines are the sort of supporting walls that are holding the roof up. And thinner lines tend to be stud walls or non-supporting walls. So it's cheaper to move a thin to move a thin line or knock it down. Mm. If you have decided that you absolutely must take down a wall and it's a big thick one on a floor plan, that's going to cost you more because you're going to need a beam to prop it up. So I think it's it, it is a good idea to look at floor plans and see whether you can move spaces round or fit in an extra bathroom or a little workspace. And how far is that from a window? Mm.
1: So this all sounds really practical, but I sometimes think, you know, part of the magic of selling a home is, you know, getting fresh flowers, maybe getting a loaf of bread in the oven or making fresh coffee and all those well-known hacks of how to present your home in a sensory way that makes it feel like a lovely space to be in. It's
0: definitely a vibe, isn't it? And I always think that the word home is as much an adjective as a noun. You know, it's a feeling home, isn't it? When the mad husband and I, who I think now gone off to find the complaints department <laughs> um, when we bought our first flat, we opened the door we'd been to see two or three other flats that day, and we were tired and we were grumpy Well, he was grumpy. I obviously was a little ray of sunshine like I always am and i said let's we ju- I just want to go and see this one more. It came on today, let's go, and it was up a hill, so we were grumbling, and we opened the front door. And we've, we've both of us always remember it. She was in the kitchen chopping rosemary and you could smell this fresh rosemary coming out. And he, I think, was in the sitting room with the baby. Um, and it was a dark evening. So there was sort of warm light spilling out. And I remember saying to my husband, yeah, this is the one. I don't need to see the rest. And he was a bit like, well, sh- we've come all this you've way. Because have got that feeling. Should we? So that was all a feeling. And that was mm. always now that smell of rosemary for me is a kind of feeling of home and buying that first flat. So obviously, if you're virtually viewing, you can't smell the flowers or smell the bread baking. But I think you can, what you can do either virtually or in other ways is do have plants and greenery. I think we are very attuned to how good plants are for us now and actually looking at plants makes you feel calmer so I think if you're looking around a house and you see lots of greenery that you might find that instinctively attractive oh here comes the cat oh hello what Enid what do you think Enid
1: are you not tempted to move has all this sort of lockdown weird times given you itchy feet to move on the
0: thought of moving makes me feel a bit weak It's supposed to be one of the most stressful things you can do in life, isn't it? Move house. Someone once likened moving house, and I love this, to standing in the shower wearing a Chanel suit, ripping up £50 notes. (laughs) Isn't that great? I think it's really true.
1: do of course come share your house selling hacks either on Instagram where I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's mad about the house or of course on the Great Indoors podcast Facebook group but Maybe don't go as far as burying booze in the walls. <laughs> Kate, did you see that post from Nick Drummond on the Facebook group?
0: I don't understand. What, he buried booze in the walls to try and sell his house? What was the idea? Get everybody drunk so they'd buy it. Actually, that what would was, be a really good ruse, wouldn't that's it? That's one way of doing it. Never mind the coffee. You just give everybody a <laughs> drink. Buy this house. It's great. Sign here. <laughs>
1: No, you clearly haven't seen the post. Let me read it out. He says, we're currently doing a huge renovation in our new to us old house in upstate New York and made such a crazy discovery. We found a bunch of secret compartments under the floor and in the foundation walls of our mudroom packed full of packages of 1920s whiskey. Proper bootleg bad. booze. Brilliant. That's prohibition. I love it? it. And he's got pictures as well on the Facebook group. It's so cool. And he goes on to say, it's so crazy no one knew about this in all the years since then. Many of the bottles are actually full and in decent shape, which is crazy. <laughs> <He's been> <laughs> having <laughs> a little slifter. <laughs> Just try them out. He says, Our home was rumoured to have been built by a bootlegger, but I honestly thought it was an urban legend. What a fantastic okay. story. Zing. I want to know if anybody else has found any really weird stuff when they bought a house. I remember we bought a house and we found a box of really old antique Victorian christening gowns. Oh, I think that's a bit spooky. <laughs> I don't
0: know if I like that. Have you found anything? Well, I, no, I can't. I, I mean, I guess if I'd found anything amazing, I'd remember it, wouldn't I? I can't think. Yeah. Have you found anything, Kate Taylor?
1: Uh. We once we moved into us and we found it was in the in the attic. There was loads of um, like film canisters, like reels of film, but we didn't have any way of looking at what they were. And there were also quite a few porn
0: magazines. <laughs> oh, not so nice. Oh, maybe yeah. yeah. Don't, don't go looking <laughs> of those films. Yes, it's like Man in the High Castle.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. So if you've got any weird and wonderful
0: finds from your um, home moves, yeah, let us know. Now then, Sophie. Tell us about this interview you've got, because it's undeniable that the interiors industry has historically been very focused on consumption and chasing trends and throwaway style. And there has, over the last couple of years, been more awareness of upcycling, of repair, mending things and buying vintage, and also challenging businesses to be more responsible. Yeah, and you did your Do Less Harm directory, which you're still running with as a great resource. I still have it on the blog as a resource, yes, which is what companies are doing to try and minimise their harmful effects on the planet. So it's not a campaigning thing, but it's, you know, this might be a good place to buy a kitchen or this is a place to buy a sofa. So, yes, that's a resource because I felt that there weren't any.
1: Yeah, I think it is something we've talked about in the podcast, isn't it? We have t- we have sort of broached the subject of sustainability, but it's come very much from a, like a shopping angle. Like you say, you know, where we can make do, recycle, you know, buy into the vintage trend, which you touched on, and just be a, a bit aware of what we put into landfill, for example, mm. and, and the brands that we buy from. And I think th- these are conversations that are always bubbling away, but I actually thought it's really important to go to somebody who's actually in the interior design industry. So I went to Chloe Bullock, a Brighton-based interior designer. She's a member of the BIID and the first interior designer in the UK to be vegandesign.org certified. I was really lucky
2: to work for the body shop in the 90s when it was really expanding rapidly and they needed a whole retail design team so i was brought in so there we kind of looked at every material that we used there was a whole department that were looking at everything and kind of vetting checking that we weren't using timber from um, illegal sources and you know checking that nothing we were using had animal content it was kind of in line mm. with the company yeah of course with the whole ethos. brand
1: brilliant but
2: yeah there's quite a lot of animal use in everything that we put in our homes really you know it's don't tell me
1: any, don't tell me any grizzlies but what's the headline that we need so, to be aware of
2: I mean first of all I want to say you know this isn't applying to everybody that has an animal product that they make but generally animals and commerce don't mix too well Mm -hmm. the shock for me was kind of wool really and how the animals are treated but that it has improved you know in new zealand they've stopped the practice of mulesing which is um a way of getting rid of fly strike which is an infection that the sheep get but it means that they're cut around the tail and it's done without anaesthetic it's not right so it causes them
1: pain yeah Mm -hmm.
2: um but that's been recognized and now new zealand have outlawed you know it's been banned mm-hmm. you know there's definite improvements i wasn't very aware of um live plucking of down yes or... I've, heard, I've
1: i've i have heard of that and it... that's you know you think of all the feather-filled cushions and upholstery i mean my whole sofa i'm sat on is feather-filled yeah and i didn't check out what their animal rights certification is when i bought this sofa so it's things like that we need to look into i know that um funny enough i was having this conversation with someone only the other day about ikea I, w- I don't even know the terminology, but you know, if you buy feather-filled products from Ikea, it's, yeah. it's good. It's not live-plucked, like you said. Yeah. But again, this is another thing for us as a consumer to worry about, isn't it? It's like, oh, I've got to, got to ask about that. I've got to check my wood's not is from sustainable forests. I've got to check that my feather-filled cushion. But you know, it's important. And then I imagine the more questions that get asked, suppliers will continue Absolutely. to even pull if- their socks up
2: if we don't have all the information ourselves to back it up I think just that act of asking questions en masse is just going to get everybody ready to answer those questions I ask questions you know is the timber for this piece of furniture from a sustainable source Mm -hmm. and I get suppliers going quiet on me for a week I follow up you know and it's there's not complete transparency yeah and and I think people who are doing the good stuff should shout about it make it easier for people to find them because there are a lot of companies that are carefully
1: sourcing things is this information getting shared is there a network of interior designers who are or do you all sort of keep your contacts quite close to your chest well it's funny
2: you say that I feel very strongly that this is all stuff we should be sharing. This isn't something that I should keep and not let anyone else know about. So I've been very behind Kate's Do Less Harm directory. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love people to send more into that because that would help people enormously. Yeah, it
1: would, wouldn't it? If there was just one place you could go. But
2: I'm also a member of the BIID, the British Institute for Interior Design, and I've I think I might have nagged them a little bit on a few things. So I've been brought onto a a um, committee, the Professional Practice Committee. So a few of us have been brought in to help with sustainability and we're going to really try and help our members to sort of learn more. So that will hopefully have a trickle effect on, on projects that they so do. So just
1: making all interior designers who are members of the BIID aware that they have a role to play in when they're specifying for projects yeah and, and th- make their clients aware I suppose it's all just ed- we're all just educating one another aren't, absolutely. aren't we absolutely
2: and I've shared my list of sort of questions that I remind myself to ask I've shared that with the committee and that's going to get issued to me. what members. are the questions to ask them always the top of it is this FSC or PEFC certified and that's for timber to make yeah. sure it comes
1: from sustainable forests
2: yeah and then other easy things to ask are kind of If you look at recycled content, there's a lot of products that are available that have a high recycled content and we should be kind of opting for that. We've got some big targets looming, you know, the Sustainable Development Goals that the UN have issued. Those are for 2030, you know, with time is ticking, we need to kind of all improve every aspect of what we do. So the architecture and interior design industries are signing up to things like Architects Declare, which is a deadline of 2050 for zero carbon emissions. Our councils are, are signing up for a 2050 deadline as well. It could be very overwhelming for people, but how about that let's all of us just take some small steps and mm-hmm. together that will actually you know, start to make change. And we can share learnings and, and help each other. And I just think it's achievable but it's kind of it's not achievable if you pile too much on people and, and overwhelm them
1: yeah and it also has to come from the top doesn't it as well that's what i feel as someone If I put myself in the role of the consumer, I just think, come on, the governments need to incentivise businesses. They need to put systems in place that make it easier for us to recycle stuff. They need to put pressure on companies to be less wasteful, to be more sustainable, to make sure... You know, my husband's in the building industry and I know that there are really strict targets and building regulations around sustainability in the environment. And Again, this has all happened in the last few years. So it's, you know, I can see it happening there. And then I suppose you're saying that perhaps the interior design sector still needs to catch up a little bit.
2: I think we're quite a long way behind, yeah. right. Um, there's a couple of things that I'd love to recommend to your listeners to do, which were real eye-openers for me. First of all, there's it's called Made in a Free World. I'll give you a link to share. Mm-hmm. But it's a survey, and it's kind of looking at what you buy and what you've bought and kind of what's the people element of that. And behind it is kind of... Um, modern slavery i'm sorry to say you know who made these things that we're buying the thing that came out is 200,000 children who are working in india's carpet belt and so they're forced to work in you know this there's certifications to help us avoid buying things like this right and i've put together a sheet of all the labels and certifications that i use and i'm really happy to share that yeah we can put those in the show notes for sure tell me more about the healthy building movement The well building standard is the best known one and it's all about designing spaces, looking at the air quality, the water quality, you know the materials used, how it's situated, are you kind of bringing in biophilic elements, the connection to nature. So it's been used a lot for offices initially but it can so apply to homes and restaurants and commercial. It's kind of very flexible and it's just about making those interiors those buildings and interiors really healthy for the users so it's kind of human-centric design
1: because it is it's a whole it's a whole package isn't it interior design and architecture
2: yeah the bit that strikes me so much about it is that they want you to collaborate together at an early stage so there's not this conveyor belt of right interior designer takes it from the architect and passes it on you know it's you all get involved early it's a really good way of working, collaborative. So that's the other thing I think is our sharing information and collaboration is our way out of this problem that we yeah, have.
1: Yeah, re- yeah, that's really inspiring. Well, thank you for oh. coming and sharing your knowledge and insight. And it, yes, we have a long way to go, but. There are enough people now, aren't there, who really want to make a difference, Absolutely, and it's
2: we can all do better, and don't get overwhelmed with it all, but just start moving in the right direction. You know, one
1: of the things I think you can do is just switch your household utility provider oh, to a green one, it's 100% so easy. renewable. And it doesn't have to cost more. I've done more. that. Yeah. No, it doesn't cost more. I've done that. So, you know, if you do one thing today,
2: yeah, just do that. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much, Heather. Lovely.
0: So much Food for thought there in that interview. I think, you know, as always, information is key, isn't it? And it's really encouraging to know that that, well, obviously people like Chloe are fully immersed in it, but there are things we can all do to be a bit more sustainable in the choices we make. So as often it's spending a bit more time, isn't it? Look into where your products come from, or is that the kind of company you want to buy from? But it doesn't feel hopeless. It feels like we can all get behind this as a movement and and all, with just a few simple changes, make our homes more sustainable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the message is being communicated loud and clear, isn't it? That we need to move fast and with urgency to creating a more sustainable system that's going to support our planet. But what is wonderful is lots of people are now getting galvanised and coming up with solutions.
0: You can find out more about her work on her website, materialiseinteriors.com or follow her or and follow her, I should say, on Instagram at materialiseint and she shares lots of information there. So ask away, inform yourself. Now for our style surgery and we've got a great question this time from Bex.
1: Hi Sophie and Kate, Bex Bennett here. My question is about our forthcoming move. We are going to be moving to a grade two listed uh, 17th century cottage in the countryside, which has got lots and lots of beams. They're very lovely. They're kind of light oak colour. But my question is about bringing colour and um, pattern into that kind of a space, which already has a very distinct style. At the moment, it's all painted white, So, my fear is painting it with colours is going to make it all feel quite dark and small. So, any advice on that would be great. Thank you. Lovely question. I'm loving that. Of course, you are. Because I believe
0: you live in a 17th century (laughs) cottage with lots of beans. Or is your 17th century? Perhaps not. No,
1: mine's not nearly as bucolic as that. Mine's a rather late Victorian, slightly botched together farmhouse. But yes, let's go.
0: I grew up in my grandmother's house, which was a... Parts of it were from the 14th century. It was black and white, beamed... And then you could still see wattle and daub in, um, in some of the walls. And that was, yes, low ceilings, small leaded windows, you know, with oh, that yes. diamond yes. shape.
1: Well, that was the thing, isn't it? In those days, glass was expensive. So mm. the windows were uh, and central heating wasn't a thing. So your windows tend to be quite small. And I do suffer from that a bit, actually, in my house, that the ceilings are really low and they're beamed. However, because it's late Victorian, they're not the lovely honey-coloured oak that Bex had got. They were rather nasty, tarry black beams and I think this is the first thing I would say for anybody who's got a low ceiling cottage with lots of beams if they are like mine uh, it's a Victorian property and they've been painted black you do not need to keep them black that's not an original feature that's of no kind of heritage you can what I've done is paint them out in white anyway Bex this is not helpful for you because you've got your lovely honey colored oak beams and you're keeping them and super fabulous um But obviously, probably with this whole look, you've got the small windows going on as well, and you're worried about keeping it light. So I would suggest that you don't need every room to feel light and bright. And I think one of the charms of a low ceiling, snug cottage vibe, as is my home, is that some of the rooms can really take a beautiful dark colour and be really cosy. And you can have wall lights and lamps and everything on a dimmer and just create like a really lovely
0: cosy cottagey vibe. I think certainly, I mean, Bex doesn't say how many rooms she's got, but if you've got, you know, a sitting room or a TV room or a room that you tend to only use in the evening that that you would have electric lights on anyway because it's that time of day, go with it, Mm. make that dark. I mean, it's an interesting case in point because your kitchen is small north and facing quite dark north facing so you've really gone with that dark green cupboards dark green floral wallpaper a terracotta floor which i mean it isn't the lightest mm. um and you know i mean i adore your kitchen you have the lights on all the time yeah we
1: do we do to be fair in there but to be honest you would you would anyway and i think that's the that's sometimes that's the key, that's the key. it's like if it's a dark room painting it a light white color is just going to make it look flat Dank, stark, because you haven't got the lovely warm south facing sunlight coming in and warming it up. So you've got to treat every room differently. What we're saying, Bex, is we're not going to give you one decorating scheme throughout. You hopefully have some different pace, and there might be some other rooms that you want to go a bit lighter. But I think with a property that's Lovely and old, and it's set in the countryside. Pure brilliant white is actually probably the last color you should use. It's far too modern. So many lovely, softer colors, aren't
0: there? I've also from. seen, I'm sure, houses, ironically, on the modern house, but perhaps they've had modern extensions. But I've put them on the blog where they've been country houses with beams. And I, you know, they've had terracotta walls or soft yellow walls or soft green. I think absolutely you can go with colors. You just need to make sure that the paint you choose is going to complement the colour of your beams. Right. So that that's not going to fight. Um, and then I, for me, and you're going to disagree with me on this, I would have sort of muted colours. The reason I like that kind of muted Farrow and Ball palette is that it's a bit sort of rain-soaked. It's a bit English country faded rain-soaked. And for me, that would work as a colour palette. Obviously, you would go much brighter. But I think the... Key point is, you can absolutely put colour in an old cottage oh, with themes yeah. in it. I yeah, mean, 100%. you want to pick the colours you want, and we're never going to agree on that. But don't <laughs> don't think that it just has to remain in its white, neutral state. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, though, um, while you can have an... You
1: literally can have any colour you want, I think, in your country cottage. But I do feel that it's good to take on board the architecture of the house and where it is. And it is a wibbly-wobbly, old school, low-ceilinged, wonky-beamed, I'm imagining this is what it's like, things from the 17th century tend to not have a straight line in them. And the setting, which is the countryside. So I think it's therefore then wrong to maybe have pelican tropical wallpaper or yes exactly do you see what I mean or like art deco bar carts or you know I some and I sort of feel this with my own home while I love quite a lot of like eccentric high glam it's not right for my Sussex country farmhouse so the patterns that I have chosen are chintzes woodland motifs wild meadow flower botanicals the sorts of flowers and tree motifs that we see outside our window rather than it's more of
0: that sort of yes it's more of a William Morris floral mm. than a toucans and parrots, isn't yes, it? You've got to pick pick your flowers, pick your animals, and and make them go accordingly. Another thing you can do if you don't want it to be all dark is rather than white, go for a soft pale shade. So. I like to call a you know a milk colour or or a very pale pink or even a very pale green, but paint your window frames and perhaps your woodwork in a darker colour. So you could do that in a dark green which would link to the outside what, and keep the walls, light, and keep the walls lighter I what, and pick up so, those details that yeah nice. so frame your view with a with a dark with the green window colour. frame and Ooh, woodwork that's a lovely idea keep the walls light
1: yeah and i have i mean i know you think white ceilings are a complete sin but i have kept my ceilings white because they are so low and it would feel in too many spaces that the ceiling was literally falling down on you. So again, if you've got low ceilings, it is it is best to err on the brighter side.
0: My mother moved into a Victorian house, I think, and when she'd looked around it, she'd sort of clocked that there was a beam across the sitting room ceiling and she'd thought nothing of it. And then actually after she'd moved in, she thought, well, no, that's quite weird to have a beam like that. And she went to touch it and it was plastic. <gasps> and they no just way. randomly stuck it on. So she had that off. Plastic beads yeah, going really, down. really weird. Wow, amazing. I wonder now, looking back on it, whether it was like trying to clad something, a joist. Yeah, probably. Or something. I but- know
1: there, there was a lot of very bad faux fakery going around in the 70s and 80s wasn't there and this kind of like trying to actually emulate what Bex has got trying to emulate that beautiful bucolic you know old country cottage but doing it yeah with plastic or um, fake brick slips I mean my house was absolutely full of it when we bought it Artex brick slips and even these black painted did you booms. have horse brasses I think they probably took them with
0: them as their prized possessions. Luckily, they didn't leave them behind. And, and sheaves of dried wheat. Yes. It was, there was a sort of fashion, wasn't there? If you lived in an old cottage, you needed you to, make to it decorate like a it pub. like the park. <laughs> <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> with a pitchfork over the mantelpiece. Yeah. Yes. But anyway. no, I think Bex, in summary, go... Absolutely go for colour. I don't think there's any reason yeah. why you can't.
1: You don't have to do the uh the nineteen seventies pub look. You can absolutely go for it and modernise your beautiful old home. It sounds exciting. Post some pictures on the Facebook page when you've done it and you're all moved in.
0: And remember, if you have a question for our style surgery, then email us at thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out the blogs for more detail and also my Do Less Harm directory for some brands with a sustainability agenda. I'm madaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinson.co.uk And do leave us a little review on your podcast app if you can,
1: and tell anyone you think might need a little bit of design inspo in their lives
0: to check out the show. That's all for this week, except to say thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective, and to you, our excellent listeners. And
1: we'll see you in the great indoors.